0: whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome to She Said, She Said podcast. I'm really glad that you're here. This week, I'm bringing you a special bonus conversation. It's actually... A conversation that I recorded with the fabulous Dr. Lara Camacho for her podcast, which is called Speak Up with Laura. Now, Laura actually joined me here on She Said, She Said podcast. I shared an encore of that conversation uh, last week in episode 254. But Laura and I agreed that there is so much synergy between our two podcasts and our platforms that it makes sense to share them here. So neither of us have ever done this before quite like this. So you'll have to let me know and let Laura know what you think about this exchange. A great big thank you to her for her willingness to share and to reciprocate. I really, really appreciate it. And that is just the kind of gal that Laura is. I have loved getting to know her and following her show. And it's been a real pleasure to have her here at She Said, She Said podcast and vice versa. Now, if Laura's podcast, which is called Speak Up With Laura, if it's new to you, I hope you'll go over and follow her as well. I have loved her content and her terrific guests and the topics that she tackles. So, be sure to check out Speak Up with Laura. I find that there are so many complementary topics and I think you'll really love the work that she's doing. Now, in addition to the podcast, Laura is a communications coach, and she's the author of a terrific book that is called The Practical Guide to Effective Communications. In last week's episode of this podcast, Encore Episode 254, Laura and I talk about how to get more visibility for your work and why that makes such a big difference as you're building influence for yourself. You will find links both to her podcast and her terrific book in that episode, episode 254, and in this episode, episode 255. Now, this week, as I said, we are turning the tables a bit, and I'm answering Laura's questions about She Said, She Said podcast, about my own career journey and pivot, and this big topic of influence and why I think it is so important. A few specific topics that Laura and I dive into that I think you will really appreciate. We talk about the scary parts of career pivoting and reinvention, and I talk a little bit about my own story. We talk about how to brag effectively, including This piece of why including your setbacks or your failures, however you refer to them, can be a valuable and differentiating asset. I I find that folks sometimes overlook that and it can be a really powerful piece of what makes your story unique. Laura and I break down the three key buckets in my influence framework that I talk about in this podcast a good bit, We talk about board service, and I share some advice for how you can position yourself for potential board roles. Laura and I talk about and share some advice for creating allies and for building your network. And we talk about how to turn an interaction or a meeting into a longer term relationship with a potential mentor. We cover all of those topics and a whole lot more. Again, this is bonus episode 255. It's a previously recorded conversation with the fabulous Dr. Laura Camacho, who has graciously shared this episode with me so that I can share it with you. Be sure to let Laura and me know what you think about the conversation and which of the topics we talk about actually resonate most with you. For now, though, here is bonus episode 255.
1: Hello and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. This is episode number 176. We have a very impressive guest today with a beautiful name. Her name is Laura Cox Kaplan and she has a career, very impressive background. She worked with PWC on their executive board. She's really navigated public sector, private sector, politics. She's worked with getting more women in elected office. She has written a book. She does, She's a public speaker. She's on a lot of boards of companies and on nonprofits, and she does consulting. So, she is going to help us understand what it means to really influence decision making and policy. I think that will be super interesting. And I'm also going to ask her about how some of us listening, like what we can do maybe to get on a board, being on a, a corporate board or a nonprofit board. I'm on one is it's a really good way to expand your influence and your visibility and to offer value in a different way kind of fertilizes the work you do in your day job and lets you uh, use your talents in a slightly different way to a slightly different audience it's just a great activity once you once you have enough time i mean if you if you have 3 kids under 5 and you're working a full-time job right now Probably not the best time to be on a board, but you know, in five years, 10 years, it'll be a different story. So I hope you are doing well today. It's going to be a very interesting conversation. All right. This is so fun to have Laura Cox Kaplan with us and I want you, first of all, thank you for coming to the Speak Up podcast, Laura. It's exciting to have you here. I'm so happy to be here, Laura. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, you know, you're an influencer. You're in Washington, D.C. You have this very prestigious background working with PwC, working with the SEC and the Department of Labor. Treasury. Treasury. Yeah, yeah. The money. (laughs) Like uh, that whole tel- alphabet suit business. Right. right. <laughs> and guys listening, to, you know, by the way, Laura, just so you know, this audience is not only are they highly conscientious, high performers, they're also very good looking. So they want to know, like, how is it that you managed to do all the influencing that you did in that kind of environment? Because it does sound a little bit intimidating to be in that political world. At least to me, it does. And I want I want you to tell us about that and tell us about the She Said, She Said podcast, which I was a guest on yes. uh, earlier, earlier this year. It was right.
0: great, A lot of fun. So just tell us a little bit about your background and the way you see it. I will I will Laura thank you so much again for having me and thank you for those lovely lovely words. I don't know that it, any of it as is is as impressive as you have made it out mm-hmm. to be, but I have been really blessed with an interesting career journey so far and very blessed with incredible people that I've worked with and learned from. So I actually got my start in kind of an interesting way in that I was in college And my grandmother, Lottie Mae Roach, I grew up in this small town in Texas called Rising Star. And I was at the University of Texas at Austin getting a degree in journalism and political science. Mm -hmm. My grandmother met our then congressman who was from, you know, represented this rural district in West Texas. And she met him. She was the grand marshal of our parade for the 4th of July. And she just loved him, thought he was like such a nice man. And she saw in the newspaper that he was accepting applications for interns. So she called me up and said, you need to send them your resume. This would be a great experience for you. So I did. They picked me. I came to Washington. It was life changing for me because I really had not understood what it meant to be part of this, you know, political and policy world and having these opportunities at a really young age to explore leadership firsthand, to have an impact, to really work alongside people, you know, making hopefully big decisions, helping people. I just loved it. It was incredible. So when I graduated, I took a full-time job with that congressman that led to becoming a press secretary for a senator from Alabama and spent a number of years doing that and then worked in a presidential administration. And so it was sort of a path that started in communications and then communication strategy and then evolved into more policy roles, essentially. And then those policy roles ultimately rolled into a corporate job where I took all of those skill sets and ultimately could marry them up and create strategies for PricewaterhouseCoopers. This was, you know, in those days I started working at PwC back in 2004 and this was after Enron and WorldCom and all those corporate governance scandals of those days mm-hmm. and the firm was becoming regulated for the first time. And so they needed a strategy and it it required The elements that I had been working to fine tune in my career, you had to win over the hearts and minds of partners inside the firm, you had to win over the hearts and minds of the investing public that had completely lost faith in the quality of audited financial statements at the time. And it was also winning over the hearts and minds of regulators and, and convincing them that we were doing the right thing, that we were listening, that this was, you know, something that we could engage with them on because these rules were being written and, you know, not everything was not so smooth. It was a little clunky in those days. Yes, I'm sure. It was. And so that's kind of my career path. And then after a number of years at PwC, I you know, develop some form of wanderlust, I guess you could call it. But I needed some new challenges and I really wanted to challenge myself more creatively and I wanted to have a way to use all the things that I had learned and all these experiences and these lessons that I had gained from other people and share them with others in a more direct way. And so that evolved into a teaching position at American where I teach as an mm-hmm. adjunct once or mm-hmm. twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach a women's leadership course. And then that course ultimately grew into She Said, She Said podcast, oh! which I was so happy to have you join me on. So that's kind of the story in short form.
1: Oh, my gosh. That is so interesting. So I want you all listening to take note and take heart because I talked to a lot of you, you know, about your promotions and your career. And sometimes I know some of you want to do something different. So you can learn from Laura Kaplan's Cop- experience and mine too, that you can do something different. It's just a matter of being prepared to accept a risk, a certain level of risk and preparing the best you can. And I think that's really ultimately which makes such an interesting life, right,
0: to to do that. I think all that's true, Laura. Mm -hmm. I would say one more thing, at least in my case. I don't know if this was true for you as well, but another element of it was it was scary as all get out to Mm -hmm. make a career pivot because I had loved my job. My job at PwC was the job that I had ultimately aspired to. That was the job that I wanted. (laughs) And I was paid a lot of money. And I got to be kind of fancy pants, if Mm -hmm, you will. mm -hmm. You know, I went to my restaurant, you know what I mean? Like there was a lot of the golden handcuffs were a very real thing. And ultimately, I had to break up with all of that Mm -hmm, in -hmm. order to try something different. And that was incredibly scary. The scariest part, though, for me was being willing to reinvent myself in a way that was going to sort of take me to the next level, both mm-hmm. personally and professionally, and recognizing that I didn't have to have a label of somebody else or mm-hmm. some other organization attached to me in order to be who I was. And right. that was really, really hard for me to get my right. It took a long time. It is scary because,
1: you know, you, in a sense, made it. So what's next? I mean, I understand that. I think everybody listening deals with that fear. And and I think it's just that there is a risk and that's something to manage. And there's so many things that you don't know that you don't know, but you can't know until you actually cut the cord. Right. <laughs> and and I, just, I think, you know, for me, preparing to go out on my own meant, you know, making sure I had enough savings to get me through a yes. year of less income. And then that so definitely helped and the only thing I miss from my corporate days, which were not as glamorous, but it, they were good and learning, is PTO. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, <laughs> <miss> people <laughs> do not get PTO. <laughs> right. we, we, get, we get TO, it's just not paid. <laughs> but Laura, I'm so impressed, you know, because I saw that you worked on a pack about maybe less than 10 years ago to get more women in elected offices. Right. And I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but just looking superficially, it, you must have made or your work, I know it wasn't just you, a difference because there are you do see a lot more women speaking out. You know, yeah. just look at Marjorie Taylor Greene, AOC, Anna Paulina Luna. The squad, I mean, right. we have a lot of young outspoken, and they're not just sitting down drinking tea and keeping quiet, you know, they're the ones no, they're that not hearing from. So <laughs> right? I want to hear that story, and like,
0: how did you do that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question you know talking about politics in this day and age is is sometimes a yes. a, a treacherous set of conversations but we're not we're not going to talk about pro or con we're just going to talk about you know straightforward here's what we did and here's why yes. we did it right. so what you're talking about is a political action committee that i was responsible for as part of my responsibilities at pwc so i i ran the strategy for for public policy strategy. So all of our interactions with lawmakers and elected officials and regulators, et cetera, et cetera, both globally and in the US. And as part of that, that meant, you know, making sure we had good relationships with them, understanding where they were coming from. And the political action committee, we used back then as a tool in order to develop those relationships. And so we would have. A a budget essentially. We would raise money directly from the partners who would contribute into the PAC, and then we would look at the members that were on committees of jurisdiction, for example, who shared our point of view around free market and uh, entrepreneurship, and you know a number of criteria that were important. And then we would give them PAC dollars, you know, mm-hmm, based on mm-hmm. the legal limits. And, you know, this was back in more like 2013, 2014. When I began to think about it, diversity and inclusion was a big priority for the firm, especially as it related to women. Mm -hmm. We found the attrition rate as it related to women, women partners or women who were just about to become partners would, you know, leave, go on maternity leave, have a baby, come back have a really hard time managing that, take a break, then never come back again. And so we were developing all sorts of strategies Mm -hmm. to ultimately deal with that attrition. And I began to think about what are some things that we could do within our public policy world to also look at this problem because then, uh, and again, my numbers, I hope I'm getting this right, but I wanna say that the number of women who were in the House and Senate at the time was more like between 15 and 18%, something mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it made no sense. There was no right. reason for that. So we started looking at it. We started doing some research around it. What are those drivers? I was talking to people who were much more engaged in candidate recruitment than I was and getting their point of view. And the thing was, when you had an open seat and rem- women ran, they did tend to win with greater oh. frequency, which was oh, so interesting. interesting. Yes. So we thought, well, gosh, why don't we look at some open seat races Mm -hmm, and figure mm -hmm. out, can we contribute to women and maybe give her a little bit of a boost? Mm -hmm. We did some interesting creative things we gave to some women that would not necessarily have been on our giving list because maybe they were lower in seniority, or maybe they weren't on committees of jurisdiction, but maybe they shared our mindset around topics and issues. So we would bring them into the fold and begin Mm -hmm. to develop a relationship with them sooner in the hopes that they would end up being on committees that had Mm -hmm. jurisdiction over what we cared about. And so it gave us the ability to kind of think more broadly about this topic of diversity and how we could use our resources a little bit differently. Now, I don't take any credit (laughs) for for the increase. I mean, today in the year 2023, the number of women in the House and the Senate, I believe, is now 28%, almost 30%, Mm -hmm. which is great. That's at least a 10% increase. And so it's a result of lots of effort and lots of attention. But at the point in which we started this, people were really not paying attention to it. It was not Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. that you know you would say this and people would automatically say oh my gosh that's a great idea they'd be like wait a minute what wait we're only going to give to women we're you know and so it took a lot of convincing to say no no it's not that it's that we're looking to create more of a farm team and we're looking mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. to provide some support in places where maybe we can move the needle and help women right. move the needle for themselves right you're just right. giving them a little boost that they might not have had otherwise So that was essentially the strategy. And, you know, it made a big difference. I personally think it was the right thing to do at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit about that strategy.
1: Well, I want to, I'm just throwing this at you. Is this a casual, it's a single anecdote from someone I met at a party last week. And she is a local personal injury attorney. So she's, Uh you know, very aggressive in court. You know, she's not a, She's not an introvert. No, she's not an introvert. Most likely. No, not an introvert. She's not quiet. She's not afraid to speak up. And she ran for some kind of, I don't remember what local office it was, but it was- Something And she didn't get it. And she said the most distasteful. She was glad she did the election. I mean, that she tried. She said it brought her family together. She learned a lot. But she said what she really hated was having to go to all these meetings and brag about herself. And she oh, felt yeah. like that. And a lot of people feel that way when they're, you know, trying to pitch themselves for a promotion. So I know you have a lot of experience in this. Like, what is your word to someone how to be convincing and compelling. And, and I don't think you need to brag about yourself, but what, what, how would you respond to that?
0: Yeah. So it's a great question. And I struggle with this just like any other, I think, normal person. Most right. normal people right. have a hard time looking at their own resume <laughs> and being like, wow, I am so fabulous. You know, instead they look right. at it and they're like, oh yeah, everybody's done that. But mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. hasn't done that in the Correct. same way that you've done it. And so I think my tip as it relates to this, is to really be honest and think about your own story and those experiences that you can string together that truly are unique to you, right? Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. you grew up, how you grew up, the jobs that you've held, the mentors that you've learned from. All of those experiences. And don't forget to include the experiences where you dropped the ball, you fell short, you didn't know something that you needed to know. You can call it failure, or you, in my opinion, you call it setback because failures are something that you should learn more Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. than you you, you are the one who can define whether it becomes a failure. And to me, it's only a failure if you don't learn something from it. Right, right, right. That's a great point. Thank you. Remembering to incorporate those experiences as well when you're telling your story, when it's truly authentic to you and you' your the other piece of this that I would I would sort of take is once you've done that, then think about what is that opportunity that you're crafting your story for? Is it a job? Is it, Laura, as you and I have talked about in the past, about credentialing yourself maybe for board service, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whatever the opportunity, or maybe it's appealing to a new client. How can you take your knowledge and experiences and past jobs and failures and successes and carve that into a narrative that actually helps that entity, that person, that that company solve a problem? What can you bring to the table? as a board member, as a consultant, that they're not already doing, right? Right, Really right. understanding your audience, I think is a very important element. And if you're crafting your story from the standpoint of helping someone else solve a problem, mm-hmm. I also think it helps you get out of that mindset that you're bragging.
1: Yeah, I love that. Because also the story like bring us together because at some point, if you tell three stories, to an audience of 300 people everybody's going to relate to one aspect of at least one of your stories yes and just as a fun example when you were telling about having that political internship it reminded me of that position that a political internship had a pivotal role in my family in my mother's generation her father died when she was six. And so oh, it was a, her mother, three kids in New Mexico. Oh, wow. Like, they were like struggling. Oh, my god! Big gosh. time. Yeah. And my mother had two grandmothers. One was a staunch Republican and one was a staunch Democrat. Like they were both <laughs> like hardcore. And I think it was the senator was Democrat. His name was Chavez. Uh-huh. And back in the day, instead of interns, they had pages. Uh-huh. So this was, I don't know, the 50s, maybe? Yeah. And my mother's older brother got a page internship where like you would go to school there. It was a boarding school. Plus uh, you yes. did work on the That's, That
0: still exists. The page does program it? still Yeah, oh, does it still exists. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, that literally changed the trajectory of all of their lives because wow. there was someone who got into, you know, like we would call in quotes, high society, fancy society, <laughs> got to see how the other half lives. And, you know, that propelled him to college to law school, and you just never know what an internship is gonna do for your family, right? But I've never shared that story with anybody until you shared how that internship had a difference in your own life, and again, from being a rural part of the state, my mom family was in rural new mexico so um, that's amazing yeah. i love that story isn't, isn't that cool and, yeah. and does this you know sometimes you do get to experience something that has a huge impact in your life and sometimes you get to have that huge impact on somebody else's life right, right. and i think looking for those stories to do that right and having the courage to tell them
0: yeah like i think i said before sometimes we don't always recognize these things for ourselves sometimes it can take a mentor or a coach or oh, a trusted absolutely. friend who yes. can help you plow through your resume and say you know these are the things that you should really be focusing these are the things that truly are when you thread them together these are the things that are unique to you mm-hmm. and i think from my standpoint as I looked back, when I made my pivot from PwC and started thinking about what do I want to do next mm-hmm. and where can I right. have value, it was later on after I had launched, she said, she said that I really thought influence is the piece that's resonating the most with me and how I think people oftentimes think about influence as being this big thing you have to have a big personality you have to be you know born into wealth or you have to be whatever in order to be influential and while those people can be influential Correct. right me based on the incredible women including yourself who've come on my podcast to tell their stories based on my own experiences it really boils down to i think some smaller micro habits that are practiced mm-hmm. consistently mm-hmm. over time that Mm -hmm. really help us build that influence. And it was like spending time thinking about all of this and thinking about my story and kind of unwinding it that I found this thread that I hadn't really realized existed until I spent time thinking about it. Yes, that's so cool. And and I think that's
1: what you and I share in common is that we want to, in a way, level the playing field for people who didn't go to Ivy Leagues, whose father is not a senator right. and, you know, <laughs> they don't have a trust fund to <laughs> support them, but you can still, you know, have a difference. So tell me about when you had that insight about, oh, it's influence.
0: How do you do that? (laughs) How do you do that? Yeah. So as I thought about it, there were three big buckets that kind of jumped out at me. And there are Mm -hmm. lots of ways that you can build influence, but Mm -hmm. there are three things that I find with great consistency, and one is the topic that we've already been talking about, Mm -hmm. and that relates to story, Mm -hmm. how you Mm -hmm. curate it, how you edit it, and that includes both the story that you tell yourself about Mm. who you are and what's important to you, and it's the story that you tell to the world. It's Mm -hmm. also the story that you tell when you have a setback and what Mm -hmm. you learn from Mm -hmm. that, and the mindset, as you and I talked about mm-hmm. on my podcast already, Laura, back several weeks mm-hmm. ago, this idea of mindset and how you approach the experiences that you are having or have had that make up your story, how you think about those and the narrative that you're telling yourself and the mindset that mm-hmm. you're putting forth mm-hmm. as it relates to that. So, stories number one. The second bucket is investment. It's investing in yourself. Mm -hmm. so that you're better prepared to invest in other people. We have to take the time and commit to those things that make us a little better than we were yesterday, right? Doesn't have to be 50% improvement. Right, right, right. A little bit of improvement, but just Mm -hmm. some knowledge and focus on how can I invest in myself? I think listening to podcasts like yours mm-hmm, and hopefully mm-hmm. mine. Absolutely. great Investments mm-hmm, that people mm-hmm. can make in themselves because your podcast and mine are all about how we can do a better job communicating and how we can right. do a better job of building and sustaining influence. And so those investments, I think, are really important. And it's not selfish. It's not mm-hmm. self-serving necessarily because you're going to be much more prepared to contribute to other people and to exactly. other Exactly. And you'll be able to add more value because you're more skilled. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that investment works both ways. Like you also have to invest in, the crafting and the telling of your story. So it kind mm-hmm, of you know reverts mm-hmm. back. And then the third big bucket is intentional persistence around things that you feel a calling to do. And by that I mean sometimes through some You know, weird force in the universe, perhaps, not to get too woo woo, but Mm -hmm. something will tap you on the shoulder. Right, right. And will tell you you're not where you're supposed to be. Right. And you'll say to yourself, well, where am I supposed to be? Right, right. Answer may not be clear. But Mm -hmm. what is clear is that you're not where you're supposed to be. And that maybe you should take some steps to go on that journey and figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. And my advice is it relates to that third Mm -hmm. bucket. Mm -hmm. just do some things, try some things, right? Experiment. Learn a lot by experimenting mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. by exploring. And the answer will ultimately be revealed much faster than if you just sit around and think about it.
1: Racing. Yes, this is never gonna come <laughs> if you don't do something. massive action
0: totally thinking is great but Mm -hmm. what i find with women a lot of times myself included is that we can think ourselves out of oh for sure right absolutely you, you get this huge benefit both in terms of what you learn but also in terms of the confidence that you build by trying new stuff even if you realize okay I need to practice at this. I'm right. not good at right. it as I could be right. Um, even if you realize that you're learning through that process. And there's a lot of growth that comes through doing in a way that I think that same growth doesn't necessarily happen when you're just thinking about it. So right. that's my influence methodology, if you will, for lack of a better term. It's kind it's of the framework. <laughs> yeah, yeah <my> framework exactly. <laughs> Well, I just want to recap for our audience. I think this is
1: extremely useful. And I want to maybe take this and say the motivating factor and the factor that shows that it's not arrogance or it's not selfishness. Yeah. Okay. So Laura's mentioned story, your stories around the things that you've learned, right? And why the thing that you want to influence about is important and useful and helpful. And then investing in yourself and your skills. And then just like Laura said, like I often coach my, you know, corporate clients to be communication coaches for their teams. I'm like, you're their boss, you're seeing it, coach them. (laughs) Because, but they can't do that if they haven't been coached, That's right. right. And then the intentional persistence and, you know, paying attention if something doesn't feel right, like Laura said, you might not get the answer in the moment, but try different things, you know, maybe travel, maybe public speaking, maybe attending a class, maybe meeting someone. I think all of those are extremely useful. But what is the end game with your influence, folks? It's not, please see how magnificent I am. It is. That is not what we're about. It's about, let's make this operation better let's be more streamlined or more useful to others or serve others or help others in some way. And in any case, you're the egg that lays the golden egg. And part of those eggs is influence, right? So it's really about your mission, you know, and we're all here, we all have a purpose. And I think the influence is probably part of that purpose if you're listening to this. Well, and I'll it's it. how you
0: relate to other people, right? I mean, yeah. Laura, to use sort of how you and I found each other, mm-hmm. we found each other, I think, through both the Southern Sea, the Southern Coterie, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. as well as the Lydia Menzies Supper right, Club. Right, right. Both of which in, were investments in ourselves. Exactly. And, it, you know, this was investing in developing a relationship. So Mm -hmm, not just mm -hmm. investing in the groups, but also being proactive about investing and developing a relationship. I reached out to you and said, Laura, I love your podcast. I've listened to Speak Up With Mm -hmm. Laura several Mm -hmm. times. I always get something out of it. I want you to come on, she said, she said podcast. And you said, that's a great idea. I want you to come on, speak up with Laura. (laughs) And we're collaborating. I think the collaboration and developing those relationships is another example of how we can invest in ourselves, and also how we can invest in others. It's creating that network, right?
1: That's right. And everybody listening, because I'm sure you're thinking, well, what if, you know, Laura could have pitched that she wanted to be on my podcast or me on hers. And I could have said, oh no, I would never do that. (laughs) I I really can't imagine, but it it is a possibility. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, or, you know, I'm having knee surgery tomorrow. I'll be out for three months or something. That would, you know, something like that. So there is risk. And I mentioned risk because I had just heard that's, you know, it's a way of addressing this. I guess it's another name for fear. And we all have fears. That is just part of life. You don't get out of life without having some fears or some risk. And it's a matter of managing it. So Laura, I want to pivot to something very specific that you are really good at. And I know that some of the people listening would like to get some tips on how to be on a board. I think most of the people listening who want to be on a board would probably rather be on a nonprofit, but not everyone. So like, that's a whole different world. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. I really have loved my board service, both my corporate board service, as well as my nonprofit board service, and I do both. But I think it can seem very mystifying and people can say okay, I want to be on a corporate board, but not have a real understanding of what that actually means and why. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think the most important thing to think about is what are the requirements of a board member first? Right, right. Right. Is it really something that you want to do and where you can actually tell you, right? And understanding that the financial piece is a Mm -hmm. very, very large piece. It's not the Mm -hmm. only piece, but it's a very large piece of certainly corporate board service Mm -hmm. and to a large extent, nonprofit board service as well. However, in addition to that, it's important to think about the boards where you see a particular problem or opportunity, perhaps Mm -hmm. that that Mm -hmm. company or that entity might have. Mm -hmm. And you match that up with your skill set, some knowledge or experience or perspective that Mm -hmm. you can bring to the table. And I think that really is where the magic sauce is. If you can sit down and talk to someone in that company, ideally the CEO, and talk to them about what are you looking for or what are your challenges. That's the way that all of my board roles have ultimately came to be, either Mm -hmm. in conversation for one board and I met with a board member who said, God, this is not gonna work because we don't Mm -hmm. need that, but I have another board and you'd Mm -hmm. be perfect for that Mm -hmm. because we Mm -hmm. do have these challenges. And so I think being really honest about your resume, what you know how to do and matching that up Mm -hmm. with the kinds of challenges that that entity is likely to be facing. I think that's a really great way to think about board service. There are other strategies and suggestions. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of different groups that exist out there now. I had Sukinder Singh Cassidy, who was the CEO of StubHub. She's just taken a new job, I think recently, but she wrote a book called Choose Possibility and she ran or runs a nonprofit group called The Board List, which you can go, oh, you, know, you can register okay. on it. I think you have to be referred by someone, but you can register on that. Then another friend of mine, Lisa Shallot, has a group called Extraordinary Women on Boards. It stands, oh. it's EWAB is the, oh, <laughs> is the I love in. it. I love it. But Lisa, mm-hmm. you can, you know, Google and mm-hmm. find on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. has this incredible group, which really is a group that helps support women both in their quest to go on boards, mm-hmm. but also a support network for maybe working through challenges and improving your expertise, sort of the continuous personal improvement, the continuous learning, and they provide some support in that regard. There's a lot of different groups that are out there, but I think connecting with some of those groups, mm-hmm. thinking about the companies that you think you're qualified to serve as a board member on, and really thinking about your story and how to you know, then craft your pitch so that it's appealing to that entity.
1: I love that. And I, as you're describing that, I'm thinking of so many clients who have this, maybe it's high-tech experience, expertise, right. or maybe it's finance, or maybe it's project management, or maybe it's marketing, but everybody knows how to do something. <laughs> and nonprofits especially need help. You know, They usually start with a visionary person, but it really takes a lot of different skills to make it grow. And corporate boards also can benefit from different kinds of people, just like a regular job doing your homework. You've given some great resources. So those of you who are interested in joining a board, definitely there are resources out there to help you systematically look at organizations, decide how you would fit and start the process of pitching yourself. It's kind of like getting a job, right?
0: It is. It's very much like getting a job. And I think too, another thought that occurred to me that I think is important to look at is look at who's currently on that board Mm -hmm. and look at holes there. Look for any gaps that you might be in a position to fill. If you look at the backgrounds of the existing board members and you say, gosh, I'm a woman and they don't have any women right like there's a good place to start right it's not the only consideration but it can be an additional consideration in addition to your skills and experience right. and expertise. it can be
1: right. a toenail in the for door sure for sure might as well use it if you've got it right <laughs> exactly exactly this is so interesting We're running out of time, but I want to go through a couple more topics. And I want to know, Laura, what advice would you give somebody who's at a director level in a company in the middle, you know, and he or she has been told that they need allies to move up and they're like, I'm a high performer. Why do I need to do this? What is your advice to someone wanting to move up to VP level?
0: Yeah, I think building your network is a really important one. You and I talked a moment ago about the importance of collaborating, of investing in relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That also applies, I think, especially applies as it relates to folks that are at that level of director. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you do that, right? Mm-hmm. How do you? Yes. You know, that's, how do you do that? <laughs> there's that funny mm-hmm. line. I think it's in Sheryl Sandberg's book, if I'm not mistaken about, um, you know, there was a children's book about Will You Be My Mommy? It was the duckling that, you know, went around. Right, right, places. right. My mentor, right? Yeah. Do <laughs> right, right, right. But it does mean like thinking about who in your organization or company is someone that you'd like to learn from? And Mm -hmm. rather than just reaching out and saying, hey, I'd like to pick your brain, God forbid. Don't say that ever. Please don't ever say that. (laughs) Instead, call them up and say, I'd really like to get to know you and understand how you got to this point in your career. And then I also have maybe some thoughts or suggestions, like think about this in advance and understand who your audience is and who Mm -hmm. you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But come Mm -hmm. prepared for that interaction with some really good questions and some areas that you think they could maybe give you some advice on because Mm -hmm. those are the people who can help you rise up the corporate ladder, if you will, Mm -hmm. if you're in a corporate job and you're looking to rise up you know, find ways of talking to and building a relationship with those folks. The way to turn those interactions, right? You've requested a meeting and the person has been very gracious and said, I'd be happy to tell you about my mm-hmm. career mm-hmm. journey. But the trick is, how do you take that one meeting and turn right. it into oh, an actual wow. relationship, right? Yes. How do you, how do you make it sticky? I have a lot of great examples, but one in particular, because it stands out in my mind because it was an intern who did this. Mm -hmm. And she was part of an internship program that I started in our public policy group at PWC. And she said, I'd really love to sit down with you and understand more about your career. I'm like, of course, because that's the whole purpose of having them there, right? Right. She sits down with me and she literally has a list of questions, you know, and things. Mm -hmm. And then she also had a list of things that she thought she might add value. Oh, wow could we make this a regular thing? And could I come back? And would you mind sharing with me anything that you think I could help add value on? Maybe topics where mm-hmm. a younger person's perspective might be, right. I mean, technology is a great example, you know, depending on how right. old you are and you're listening, right. right? But technology can be helpful if the person that you're trying to develop a relationship with has to happens to be more senior to you, right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. some other experience experience that you've had that you think they might benefit from. So finding ways of adding value to that person that you want Mm -hmm. a relationship with, I think is a really important way to go about that. And if you're approaching those interactions from the standpoint of curiosity, what you can learn and what you can also contribute and how you can invest in them. Right, Uh, I love that. After the fact, like that's an easy thing to do, right? So true. You're reading your Harvard Business Review, you're reading The Economist, you're reading whatever, and you run across an article that you're like, oh, that would be so great. Sally spent all that time with me in that mentor conversation. I'm gonna send her this article Mm -hmm. because I think she really loved it. And you write a note that says, yes. hey, Sally, thank you so much. I was thinking again about our great conversation. And I ran across this article. I think you're going to love it. And maybe share a couple of thoughts. or a point Right, you you right. Takeaways. About- Exactly. And she may not read it ever, but it still builds the relationship. And you thought about her, right? right. You, you are investing in her and showing that you care about her as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just about you, it's <laughs> right. about investing in her. I think that's really a very important tip and tactic, certainly to building a network. It also, by the way, to circle all the way back to, just to, to tie this conversation uh-huh. up in a bow, it's about building... And sustaining influence; those are right. some of those micro habits that really help us solidify relationships. They help us grow. They help us develop that network. Those are the people you're going to turn to and say, "Oh, hey, I'm launching this new thing. Would you consider writing a review or providing right. some support or introducing me to someone?" Right, going right? it out on the limb. Just think, Laura, how long ago
1: did that intern reach out to you? Like, how long ago was that conversation that you still remember?
0: Uh, That would probably have been, oh, my gosh, at least a decade. Oh, more than that. Probably more than a decade ago. And she still reaches out, by the way. She's done so well in her career. And I I don't hear from her all the time, but I hear from her probably once or twice a year. She was super intentional about Mm -hmm. the actions that she was taking. She was very thoughtful. She was very prepared. And she was investing in herself. And she was investing in the people that she felt like could be helpful to her. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. it really was a very thoughtful approach to that. And I think that, to me, is kind of the secret.
1: I agree. When you say to someone... Oh, I'd like to pick your brain. They just, they, they, it makes them want to crawl into a hole and never go. I, it's such a terrible uh, expression, but it's much more interesting. I'd like to hear your story. I love, and when somebody brings ideas to the table and not just a laundry list of like, these are some things I think you need to fix, because breaking things down is easy, criticizing is easy,
0: solving things is not easy. So if you've got some ideas, bring them. Yeah, absolutely. I think another element, and I think I discovered or sort of understood this later than I should have. It's one Um, of those things that I wish I had had understood. Story of my life. And and it's the value that comes from asking for help, not just for you who Mm -hmm. needs the help, But also the value that comes as it relates to the relationship when you ask someone for help and the validation to say, I care about your opinion so much that I'm asking you for help, right? Right. And it depends on what that help looks like, right? Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that you run around to be a beggar. I'm suggesting that when you ask someone for their expert advice and opinion on a series of topics, that it really does make them feel good because they're like, gosh, that person cares enough about what I think to ask me. And I think I didn't realize the impact that that would have on really solidifying that relationship.
1: I totally agree. And I always thought, you know, I was bothering them and that's what we hear from clients and younger. Oh, I don't want to bother. No, no, no. I mean, if it's well thought out, if it's well-crafted, you know, you're not just sending some half baked, oh, I just thought about what do right. you think about no? It's when you bring that well thought out proposal pitch idea and get that feedback. And that also, if that person participates in it, then you're they're going to be bought into it and actually help you move the whole thing forward. So it's a real win-win. Just so many wisdom bombs falling on everybody. How is this even free? I don't know, <laughs> but it is.
0: So, well, I, I mean, I am getting a lot out of our, you know, our new friendship. Yes. So delighted to have had you on She Said, She Said podcast. And I'm so happy to be here with you. As I said before, I'm an avid listener of Speak oh, Up and Well, <laughs> I now. get a lot out of it. Good. Well, now, before you go, though,
1: I'm, I'm going to give you some rapid fire questions. Okay. I want, we want to learn more about Laura. And then, you know, there's a lot of people that work for big companies. Maybe they want to bring you in. How can they reach out to you? I would love that. Where did you go on your, and I know the answer to this, but the (laughs) audience doesn't. It's a super cool place. Where did you
0: go on your last vacation? Oh, I had the most amazing vacation, I would say, of my entire life. I have to say, we took 16 family members to Israel Both side, my husband's family and my family, over the holidays. My husband is Jewish. I'm Christian. My family's Christian. um, But all these family members of, you know, from two different religious perspectives over Christmas, and we covered the entire country in a 10-day period, it was extraordinary and incredible. And I just loved it. I could go on and on and on. So if you need any tips for Israel, let me know. (laughs) I am... I just oh, thought it was sense. incredible. So, yes.
1: Yes. I, I saw that on Instagram, the pictures. And I was like, yes. oh, I, oh, I learned visit. so much. It was just uh, it was amazing. God, so good. What is your favorite dessert? My,
0: anything chocolate anything dark chocolate milk chocolate dark if possible but i will accept milk chocolate chocolate in its place if that's all you've got (laughs) laura i'll take milk chocolate but dark would be my preference (laughs) oh that's funny i mean
1: that's what i when people say what are you giving up for lent i'm Sometimes I think about, well, what if I gave up dark chocolate and only had milk chocolate? Would that be, does that count as
0: a sacrifice? I think it might. Really. I think it actually <laughs> might. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, what is your favorite store? My favorite store. I have a couple. Oh. You and I talked about this earlier, but for clothing, I'm really into dopamine dressing right now. I love As that. we talked yes. about. And, and that, that is like, you know, using color and pattern that helps make you feel more creative and more Mm -hmm. alive and maybe a bit happier. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a gal that I uh, ran across um, and learned about through the Southern Cootery, which Laura Mm -hmm. and I are both Mm -hmm. members of. Her name is Morgan Hutchinson, and she runs a company called Buru. You'll find her on Instagram at shopBuru. She's fabulous, and she really personifies this whole notion of dopamine dressing. So I would check out her stuff. It's fabulous, and you can incorporate pieces into your existing wardrobe, which I also love. Mm-hmm. My favorite summer shop, which is like more of a, I think, shopping experience, is this darling little... I mean, bookstore is really not the right word, but it's like bookstore, stationery store. We have a vacation place in Edgartown, Massachusetts on Martha's Mm -hmm. Vineyard. And it's Mm -hmm. a store called Portobello Road. So if you ever find yourself in Edgartown, you must go and you can follow them on Instagram. They have a great Instagram feed. But you walk in and it's like there's the best jazz you've ever heard playing or it's great Parisian music playing in the background and you peruse the books and you look at the beautiful stationery and there's great little gifts there. oh i want to go right now An experience you know oh. i love i love shopping experiences experience. exactly and i and, love it's just one of my favorite places it oh, makes me excited for summer that sounds fabulous what about music what kind of music do you like so as a native Texan, I grew right. up with country music and can see what uh, good Willie Nelson lullaby right here on the spot. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I they love, do have good
1: stories in them, the country music good songs.
0: Stories. I love country music probably best. Chris Stapleton is really the mm-hmm. top of my mm-hmm. my current okay. list. So, Okay. Very cool. What about movie genre? Uh, rom-coms and thrillers not necessarily okay. together.
1: <laughs> right, 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 right. Good. Um, how would you describe your personal style? Maybe it's a dopamine hit of dopamine or what
0: would you say? I mean, I think it's sort of corporate classic with a twist. Mm-hmm. It's taken okay. me a while with my sort of life pivot to also pivot my wardrobe, which sounds like a crazy thing to say. No, but it, it you know, I didn't, it doesn't make sense for me to wear a bunch of sheath dresses all day long, no. but I still kind of like something that's tailored that has mm-hmm. a little more edge because now I can get away with it in a way that I didn't necessarily feel like in my corporate jobs I could. So now I can mm-hmm. pretty much wear whatever, but I like to be, I like to be dressed. I like to wear shoes, even if I'm working from oh, home. Absolutely. I kind of like to, to get dressed. Um, I, I, I love agree. clothes. And I, again, it makes the whole dopamine thing it makes me feel good you know i like oh, wear-
1: no 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 and it transmits i mean it's come i mean you guys are not going to see laura the way she's dressed today but she's got this super cool mixed print blouse with a bow and a jacket on like a chanel type jacket and yeah it she that energy is
0: it makes me feel like i got to hit a dopamine from your outfit too <laughs> Thank you. Well, this jacket, as I told Laura, it it does have sort of a Chanel-inspired thing, but it's Chanel-inspired. It was $59. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, a
1: a long-distance inspiration. You get a lot of jacket for that. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty awesome. All right, two more questions. Were Were you afraid of anything as a child?
0: Yes, I was afraid of The Witch and the Monkeys in The Wizard of Oz. That movie scared the oh, pants off of me when I was yes. about six or seven. Yeah. And is, I had nightmares for forever. I mean, people should be careful about that movie. Yes. It's a classic, but like, there's an age appropriate element. Right. I think you need to, to be, be about nine to see uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. Yes. I think so too. And do you collect anything? <laughs> I'm a, I mean, my family would tell you I am a closet hoarder. I collect shoes. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. Um, I love shoes. I mean, I love clothes too, but I especially love shoes. I can't say that I have anything that's, you know, so yeah. fabulous, whatever. I, But I, I'm i a saver. I love stuff that evokes, you know, some creative inspiration or makes me think of the person that gave it to me or an experience I was having when I wore it or right. whatever. So it's hard for me to let go of things. I collect lots of things
1: like a so not that she's a hoarder but she's a like, collector <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna all stick right. with that <laughs> yeah we're gonna stick with that all right so where can people find you follow you get in touch with you lord this has been so much fun so much value everybody i know you're like how is this so free laura you are i'll just say you're welcome so tell
0: them- <laughs> I'll tell so, how to how to get a hold of you. Absolutely, Laura. Thank you for asking that question. And of course, you can pay Laura and me in term, in, in reviews. Or you can oh, buy true. a cup of coffee. You right. can, you know, you can right. contribute in any number of ways. Reviews would be greatly yes. appreciated. I'll just yes. go ahead and say that on thank behalf you. of both of us because it's so hard to get yes. people to write reviews even when they're listening and people will send us, you know, notes. I'm sure they send you notes about, I love the show and I got this. And I thought this guest was great, whatever. Uh, Please, please, please put it on you because that helps us (laughs) not only fine tune our content, but it also helps us reach a broader and more broader people. audience exactly. so that more and more people can listen and so that's obviously important. So, where can you find me? She said she said podcast.com is our mm-hmm. website that you'll find She said She said podcast with me, Laura Cox Kaplan, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um those are the best places. On social media, you'll find me at Laura Cox Kaplan with a K. And I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, pretty much everything at this point. Um, and I'd be so grateful if folks would follow and check out the podcast. And also right. check out Laura's conversation with me from a few weeks ago. Oh, that's right. That's
1: right. That's true. You should definitely. We'll we'll put a link to to that in the show notes. Great. Well, this, this has been so much fun. You're welcome, everybody. I'm always thinking of you and bringing you the most interesting people. And we will touch base again in the next episode. Bye-bye.
0: Hey, friend, thanks so much for joining me today for this week's bonus episode, episode 255 my conversation with Dr. Laura Camacho on her terrific podcast, which is called Speak Up with Laura. You can find and follow Speak Up with Laura wherever you listen to podcasts, or of course, you can follow the link that I have included in the show notes for this episode. Again, it's episode 255. Until next week, friend, you take care and I'll talk to you again real soon. She Said, She Said podcast is a weekly production of She Said, She Said Media.